So many of us know all about iTunes and Spotify and connecting an iPhone to Bluetooth. They are all great and easy ways to listen to music, aren't they? Growing up, however, none of this existed, not even CDs. As a teen, one of my favorite things to do is to go to the local record store and explore albums. I can picture right now flipping through vinyl albums in rack after rack after rack, and if I think about it, I can even feel the, the sensation on the ends of my fingers of that feeling of flipping through the albums. And living in LA at the time, in those early 70s, those record stores were really cool. Now, I know all the current technology makes music accessible in ways previously considered unimaginable, but I really miss those old record stores. Remember all the great album art, too? How can you fit that on a tiny CD cover? Even that's going to be dated soon. And the good news is I still have most of my albums I started collecting in the early 1970s, and they're a lot of fun to listen to. There's something about the quality of the sound, even, even with the scratches. Well, the other day I was playing an album, and in the midst of enjoying it, however, the music suddenly started repeating one sound over and over and over and over again. The needle was stuck in a rut on the record. And so I simply got up, went to the turntable, lifted the needle up, and set it down in a different place, and on the music went. A rut in a vinyl album is pretty easy to move beyond, isn't it? A rut on a vinyl album is kind of like a character mark. But as I've thought about the ruts on my records, there's another kind of rut that is a lot tougher to address and often not fun to work through. That other kind of rut is the mental ruts, the mental ruts that each of us have. Now science is pretty clear on this. When we think in a certain way over and over and over and over and over again, a rut in our brain is created a rut we can get stuck in, a rut that can be hard to move through, a rut that becomes a habit very quickly. Think of a mental rut as a go-to way of thinking without even having to think about it. Now, it's clear that some ruts are quite negative, aren't they? They can be very self-destructive and not helpful. There are all kinds of them, like always wondering what other people think or viewing the glass half-empty or... Uh, not feeling that anybody understands what we're feeling or not paying attention to what is good and right and wonderful or feeling inadequate in some area of life or questioning our friends, ourselves as a friend, a spouse, a parent, or even as a child of an aged parent. We can even be stuck in the rut of even having only one perspective on one issue. And while it might sound strange, science is also very clear that ruts and mental ruts are always not just negative. In fact, they can be quite positive, life-giving, and full of hope. Like assuming most people are good, or believing that while not all things work out, a lot does. Or not dwelling on hurts, or forgiving easily, or being kind to ourselves when we make mistakes, or not leaping to judgment, or being patient in the process of reaching a conclusion. So it's really important to point out and to keep in mind that ruts, which are habitual ways of thinking, can be positive or quite negative. In my life, I've been blessed to see a lot of the world, including some of the most destitute and hard places on earth. From inner city gang, violent, and drug-infested neighborhoods in the United States 
to third world villages all over the world with zero modern conveniences. And whenever I've been in such places, I try to picture myself living in such a place, living in such circumstances, and when I do, and when I'm there, it typically leads me to feeling really sad and down. And I'd imagine if my life was taking place in a brutally tough place, I'd be in a very negative rut, a rut of despair and hopelessness. And perhaps because I believe this about myself, I've been intrigued, in fact, I've been blown away from people I know who live in such places, but who are not in mental ruts of despair and hopelessness, but rather in ruts that are quite the opposite. What does a Pentecostal church in South Boston, a Presbyterian church on Christmas Island, and an Anglican church in a tiny mountain village in Jamaica, what do they all have in common? Well, in my firsthand experience, it's not just the fact that they are poverty-stricken with few opportunities that is most intriguing. No, what is truly extraordinary about these communities of faith that I have witnessed is that they are all in an astonishing rut of worshiping with joy and praising God with vigor and passion despite the realities of life outside the doors of their places of worship. They really know how to praise God in ways that I envy and I seek, not only in church worship, but in their daily lives. I know as I think about this that I have something to learn from them, my friends in those places, because praising God, to be honest, is not always the first place my brain goes. Sometimes my praise of God is far too situationally dependent, and I know that when I don't praise God enough, I lose perspective in so many areas of life. So what does it mean to praise God? What are some examples, and how might we think about learning to ramp up our praise, if that's something we feel we need to work on, so that praise crosses our minds, even if we're in a life passage in which things are not so great? Well, first we need a, a definition of praise, and here are just some thoughts about it. To praise means to love God with passion, to express gratitude to God, to honor God, to commend God, to celebrate God, to attend to God, to pay attention to God, to put God first, to compliment God, to admire God, to rave about God, to speak about God, to revere and stand in awe. And I love what the writer Frederick Buechner writes about praising God. Here's what he says. You praise your new puppy for making its offering on the lawn for once <laughs> instead of on the living room floor. And maybe you yourself are praised for something you have done or created. In each case, the praise that is handing out is a measured response. He goes on to write, Praising God, however, really is another kettle of fish altogether. Praising God is about as measured as a volcanic eruption. Wow. As I thought about his words, I asked myself, how often is my praise of God like a volcanic eruption? 
My answer has led me to believe that I often miss out on something. I miss out on something that I know would change my life at its core. I'm beginning to learn and understand in a new way that if we are in the wonderful rut and go-to way of thinking of praising God, if praising God is one of our first go-to places in our brains, if praising God is a habit, our lives will be different and in many ways so much better. Now the idea of praising God is all over Scripture, both the Old and the New Testaments. Moses and the Israelites one day said, we're singing our hearts out to God. And that was in the middle of the desert. Later, a fellow named Isaiah, at a particularly tough time in his life, said, God, I celebrate you. And King David, when he became king of Israel, he was dancing in the streets as a way of praising God, despite the fact that people looking at him thought he was an idiot. And later, King David said, tell the world who God is. Play songs to God. Sing to God. And then later, a fellow named James, who very well may have been Jesus' brother, wrote, let us sing praises to God. And later, in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer said, continually praise God, continually praise God. And Paul and Silas, when they were in prison behind bars, they were described as singing hymns in praise of God. And then there's the book of Psalms. There are 150 of them. And across types, laments, or other psalms filled with anger, there is reference to praising God. And then there's our reading today in Psalm 148. It's a spectacular psalm of praise. Here are just a few things to note. In our version today, it starts off with the word hallelujah. Most Bibles say praise, praise the God or praise the Lord. Well, the Hebrew word for praise is hallelujah, from the Hebrew word, root word of hallel. If you add the word yah to it, which is referring to God, this is where we get the English word hallelujah, means praise God, hallelujah, praise God. So this psalm is all about hallelujahs. In fact, you can insert the word hallelujah wherever you see the word praise. And in the psalm, what's really fascinating is the writer is saying that everything should praise God or hallelujah God, both animate and inanimate objects. The writer writes, sun, moon, stars, rain clouds, hail, fire, snow, ice, mountains and hills, everything, hallelujah. Everything, including angels, warriors, dragons, wild beasts, cattle, snakes, birds, kings, leaders, old and young people, everything, praise God or hallelujah. And I love the imagery in this psalm, the image of birds praising God in flight, of snow falling praising God, of forests saying hallelujah. And someone once said to me that the sound of wind blowing through trees is the sound of trees celebrating their creator. And in scripture, Isaiah put it this way. He said, mountains will burst into song and trees clap their hands to praise God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hallelujah. Well, earlier I said that praising God is not always my go-to way of thinking. That said, I have come to believe that the more you and I think of praising God and the more we do so in a habitual way, 
the better our lives will be with more joy, more gratitude, more optimism, more hope, and we will experience a greater connection with our Creator and all the goodness that is so central to God. I also understand, however, very, very well, that praising God does not eliminate tough, hard, and painful stuff. But I am coming to learn that praising God in the midst of whatever is going on is a game changer. Praising God affects our grief, our despair, our worry, concern, fear, and angst. Now to praise God in the midst of it all is not a way of denying hard things, or sticking our head in the sand, or pretending that all is just great. Rather, making a habit of praising God expands our perspectives, enhances our understanding, connects us to a fuller range of what it means to be human, moves us to be more fully present for a person around us, and helps us get in touch with what is right and good. Many people say gratitude changes how we live. Well, so does a heart that turns to God in the habit of praise. For a moment, listen to these excerpts from a very well-known writing. I'll share who wrote it in some brief background in just a second. Here are the excerpts. Praised be you, my Lord, with all your creatures, especially brother sun. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister moon and stars. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother wind and air. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister water, through brother fire, through sister mother earth who sustains and governs us. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister death, and praise and bless, my Lord, and give our Lord thanks. I just read some excerpts from what is known as the Canticle of the Sun, written in the early 1200s by St. Francis. Francis, an astonishing man. Francis had an extraordinary life from living with riches to abject poverty, to being imprisoned, to starting a monastic movement, from disappointing his father, to being ostracized by many in the public, from traveling long distances to share the story of Jesus, to dying in his 40s. And it was near the end of his life when he wrote the Canticle of the Sun. His words are full of praise of God and certainly mimic Psalm 148. But what may not be well known about Francis and these words is that they were written during the most painful and difficult passage in his life. Here's how one historian describes time of Francis's life when he wrote this canticle. Francis at the time was physically miserable, nearly blind, in constant pain, exhausted from years of travel and tough work, emaciated and bleeding from wounds in his hands, feet, and side with only medieval medical care available. Francis prayed and in response to his prayers he wrote the canticle of the sun. And my hunch is that Francis had a habit of praising God despite what he went through, and that this habit, this mental rut, this go-to place of thinking enabled him to do all that he did in his life through thick and through thin. As I thought about this over the last few days, I am reminded of a great gospel tune, a tune, in fact, I've asked Paul to get our Somas Chapel Gospel Choir to hopefully do this summer. It's awesome, and maybe you know it. The name of the song is Hallelujah Anyhow. (laughs) Here's some excerpts. 
No matter what comes my way, I'll lift my voice and say, Hallelujah, anyhow. God's been good to me through every test and trial. Hallelujah, anyhow. The enemy has tried his best to make me turn around and bring me down. Hallelujah, anyhow. But my God's never failed me yet, so I'm going to stand my ground. Hallelujah, anyhow. And no matter what comes my way, I'll lift my voice and say, Hallelujah, anyhow. Just think about this. Psalm 148, written 500 years before the birth of Christ. The Canticle of the Sun, written by Francis in the 1200s. Hallelujah, anyhow, composed by an amazing African-American spiritual writer, composed in the 20th century. This amazing theme, this theme, this reminder to each of us to get into the rut of praising God has been talked about, preached about, shared, encouraged, prayed about, and wrestled with for 2,500 years. That's a lot of years. And I take wisdom that old as something worth paying a lot of attention to. And even though things can really be brutally tough sometimes, as I know and as you all know, my prayer is that in the midst of it, we will gain the habit of praising God. That like a rut on a record album, praising God is what will hang us up. I invite you to join me in praying, God, help us learn to praise you more. God, help us learn to say, like a volcanic eruption in the midst of it all, hallelujah, anyhow. To invite me in praying to God that God will show us what difference a praising heart will make in our lives and the lives of those around us. I'm very grateful that this chapel is a place where worship and praising God is central to what we do. And I also pray in the days ahead through all the junk that we sometimes each go through that together we can remind each other and help each other. Say hallelujah, anyhow. I want you all to say it. It feels good to say it. I know there's stuff going on in your life. Say hallelujah, anyhow. Come on, do it again. Hallelujah. That sounds like a drizzle. Let's make it more like a volcanic eruption. <laughs> Hallelujah, anyhow. Hallelujah, anyhow. Hallelujah, anyhow. Amen. We got to sing that song this <laughs> Let us pray.